Welcome to your headquarters for knowledge and helpful advice on a variety of topics, all from trusted experts in their fields. It's time for River City Podcast. The Virginia Home for Boys and Girls helps hundreds of kids in crisis each year through group homes, schools, independent living arrangements, and therapy. You've probably passed their sign on Broad Street a thousand times, and most of us have no idea what goes down on the little road behind that sign. But we want to learn more about it, and I'd like to introduce you to Lionel Bacon, VP of Philanthropy, and Karen Rice, Director of Therapeutic Resources. Lionel, first of all, let's just start off with a general overview for people who are not familiar with Virginia Home for Boys and Girls. Um, We are a nonprofit that sits not far off the corner of Broad and Parham, right down past the BMW dealership. We have been in the business of serving youth for over 175 years. We are actually in our 176th year of serving youth uh, who are dealing with crisis and trauma. We like to put smiles on kids' faces, and sometimes kids are kids on our campus for the first time. In other words, they're smiling and um, riding bikes and throwing Frisbee and playing flag football and swimming in our pool. And it looks and sounds like any other neighborhood, which is our goal to give kids a childhood. Amazing. Uh, and and you say it so lightly, how long you've been around. It's astounding. <laughs> <laughs> a long, long time. You know, if we were... Um, you know, orphanages were, were the thing hundreds of, of years ago. And we started as an orphanage. Um, the Virginia Home for uh, for Boys and Girls is just an amazing operation. And I'd love for more people to just come by and see who, are, who we are and what we do and take a tour. Any Anytime you've done something for over 100 years, you're, you're a staple in the community. So and that's what we are. Well, I'm glad to have you here and to learn more. Uh, we also have Karen. Uh, and Karen, if you can share a little bit about uh, just kind of an overview of w- what you do to provide help for kids in crisis. Absolutely. Um, our, we have several programs. We have transitional living on campus, and transitional living covers everything from uh, traditional group care services uh, to independent living apartments and homes um, and to Pride Place, one of our newer programs. We have specialized school on campus, and we have therapeutic resources, which offers all kinds of counseling support and uh, skills development for the youth and families that we work with. So we're able to welcome youth onto our campus uh, for a day in school, uh, for a couple of hours in therapeutic resources if they're from the community um, or from campus, or to actually live with us and work on their skills development. And we do that um, on a day-to-day basis, whether someone is learning new skills or actually in crisis, and we're able to help that entire spectrum of behavior. And when they say campus, Mm -hmm. I mean, this is, (laughs) you know, it's funny because I used to work out at the Gold's Gym right down the street, and I, I was one of the people that passed the sign a million times. And it's impossible to conceive of the of the magnitude of this campus. I mean, it is a campus um, which, you know, it's just great because it's this m- huge safe space where everywhere you go, there's something that, you know, is there for everybody. So I, th- I definitely would encourage everybody to come out and take a tour. Um, and then, you know, as far as the kind of programs that you, you went into the transitional living, specialized school, therapeutic resources, 
that all, it, it, that's not inexpensive. <laughs> so um, to turn to Lionel, like, how, how does that get funded? What can people do to help? What's sort of on your wish list? The way I like to explain it so that it makes sense in everybody's mind about what we do and who we are. When I take, a, when I take someone on a tour, the first thing I do is we stand out in front of our administrative building that is literally a block from Broad. And so we walk out of our admin building and we're standing in the front and I tell people, just listen, it's really quiet, yet Broad Street is a block away and we've got this little bitty driveway. And once you turn down that driveway, that's where the magic happens. And again, you mentioned this, this campus, but we have 33 acres back there and 26 or 27 buildings where just amazing things happen. But the way I explain it to make sure it makes sense in everybody's mind is everything that happens on our campus falls in four buckets. The first bucket is we have a school on our campus, which is K through 12. So kids learn on our campus. That's the first bucket. The second bucket is kids are healed on our campus. We have an amazing uh, therapeutic resource center, which is connected right to our school, which uh, my colleague here, Karen, manages. So the, the, the second bucket is healing. The third bucket is group homes. Kids live on our campus, uh, 11 through 17 are in our group homes. So the first bucket is school. The second bucket is healing. The third bucket is group homes, 11 to 17. And then the fourth bucket is transitional living, which we just mentioned, for youth who are 18 and over who have come out of uh, foster care or, or some other situation. Uh, but those are the, the main four things that happen on our campus. And again, they... There is a cost attached to it. Uh, we are blessed to have amazing businesses and individuals and grantors um, that that support us. And, and we are in need of that support. COVID set everybody back, not just nonprofits, for-profits and, and everybody else. And it, it definitely set us, us back some in terms of our ability to raise money. We, we make some money that is generated through our programs not from our clients and the youth paying, but other, other sources of, of revenue, mainly the localities that the youth come from. But a bulk of our uh, existence is done through philanthropy, which is my role, which is uh, getting out and talking to people and individuals and grantors and businesses and anybody who will listen to tell them what we do and about the needs on our campus. So those of you that are out there listening, we would love, we, we're always excited to get people to our campus to take a tour because we can't, we can sit here and talk for hours and it will never really give you the full feeling of what it's like for kid, the, the experience that youth have on our campus and a tour. Once we get people out and they take a tour and we have a golf cart, we drive people around and we can do it in 30 minutes, but our tours our, uh, our tours are gripping. You're going to see something on, a, on our tour that grabs you and gets you involved. It changed me. Yeah. <laughs> it did. Yeah, it they're really powerful. Did. And, I, and I'll tell you a few things that stood out. The school, uh, when I went on the tour, we got to spend um, more time than any, I think, in the art room. Mm -hmm. uh, and seeing the art that the kids mm -hmm. did was just mind-blowing because... And I, and I know that extra attention is put into them having art every day, where in some schools it's only once a week. It's it's definitely more of a priority, and I think that's genius, but that's a whole separate topic. <laughs> but just seeing the work they did and the, and the artists that they're studying, too, and learning about the great artists of the world is incredible. Uh, and then, you know, there was also a classroom we went into that had 
I think, I don't know if it was fish, they had a bearded dragon, you know, <laughs> right. these are, these are things that kids that come from these situations aren't normally exposed to either. And I loved that. Um, it's just, it's magic. Go on the tour. Definitely go on the tour. So, Karen, what new programs are you guys offering right now? Oh, sure. Along with our core uh, group home living and our school, we are growing leaps and bounds with our independent living arrangement programs. And that's a heading for several different programs. Right now, we are uh, looking at transitional living in our Pride Place community, which is housing for uh, young adults who are in the LGBTQ plus community, um, a very high portion of our homeless population in the Richmond area. Um, are these youth uh, in the community. So we want to make sure we're offering a safe place for them to be and assistance finding their next best step. Uh, we also offer traditional independent living for those foster care youth. Um, Lionel had mentioned uh, foster youth that age out um, and still need somewhere to go. So we work with uh, youth that have been in placement uh, or turning 17 and 18, still need some support in the community and some guidance. And we offer uh, townhomes for independent living. Another really exciting part under that umbrella of independent living is our independent living program for foster youth who are also parents, for teens who have had children. And what we do know is that they also become some of the highest percentage of the homeless population in the Richmond area without support. And statistics in 2020 showed us that 70% of the females aging out of foster care without support will become pregnant. So we do want to make sure we're addressing them in our service delivery. One of the things that's very important to me and, and very special to me is youth mental health first aid. That's a class that we teach, another one of our special programs. And this allows me to teach uh, multiple people over the course of months and years, how to do the kind of work that I do to reach out to young people who are having a mental health crisis. Not how to be a counselor, but just how to respond to that gut feeling that I have a teenager in front of me, maybe in my family, maybe a neighbor, maybe in my classroom, and I don't feel comfortable with what I'm hearing. I'm worried about this young person. I'm worried about them um, having a mental health concern that's being untreated or they don't know what to do with. And all the way to I'm worried about them potentially being suicidal, but I don't know what to say or how to approach. So this class teaches anyone, anywhere, how to ask those questions how to reach out to a young person, and how to feel like you've made a good connection and a difference in their life. So since COVID, we will be restarting these classes, and we offer them free to the public. Um, they do fill up quickly, and but we will start in July, and you can find that information on our website about how to register for these youth mental health first aid classes um, and exactly what the curriculum is all about. It seems like that should be everywhere, all day. Yeah. Uh, we all know everything that's gone on in this year, and, mm -hmm. and certainly it's not unique to this year, sadly. So I would definitely encourage high school teachers and anybody involved with teens yes. to consider that. Is that something that's in person, or is that something that is... 
yeah. online. We are doing that in person. We just find that people seem to ask questions when they're in person more regularly than they would through any type of a virtual format. So we have really waited until we feel like we can offer uh, a socially distanced classroom environment that is safe but is in person to allow people to come, ask questions, observe role plays, and just really immerse themselves in this youth mental health first aid class. Um, it's wonderful, again, to see people come in and are unsure that they'll be able to do this, unsure what the curriculum's like. And by the end of the day, they talk about feeling empowered, excited, and looking forward to being out there in the community and engaging with the youth that they have in their family or in their school, like you're saying, or just in their neighborhood. Wow. That's powerful. I've, I've definitely taken a ton of CPR classes every time I hear them offered. I've never heard of anything like that. Right. Uh, and, I, and it's astounding when you think about it that you don't hear about it. Exactly. And I love that you mentioned CPR because one of the phrases we often use is, is we'd like mental health first aid to be as common as CPR is. Um, a lot of us go to work and we have to take first aid and CPR for physical concerns. One day, I hope that we also see mental health first aid for youth or for adults, one of those requirements as well. Yeah. And then there's a lot less having to look back and go, you know, I saw signs. Mm -hmm. yep. I just right. didn't know what to do. Right. Yeah. My involvement with youth mental health and first aid is that when we have the groups on campus, I usually do the introduction, kind of the welcome. And one of the things that I'm always impressed by is just the variety of backgrounds of the attendees of the class. You have grandmothers, you have coaches, you have people who work in community centers, you have teachers, you have people from recreation and parks and, you know, family members or neighbors. It's anybody who comes in contact with a teen that might need to, might need the tools and be equipped to sit down and just talk to that person and interact versus being in the situation you just, you just mentioned where we're all sitting around saying somebody saw something. And in fact, right. people saw something but didn't feel empowered or, or feel like they had the skills to or background to be able to have the conversation with that youth. That's, you know, I learn something new every time I talk to you guys. <laughs> um, and I have Good. to say, I think a lot of people picture these homes and they do, you know, because orphanages are what we know about. And there's so many movies that depict what it's like to grow up in an orphanage. And uh, for my account, I would move into one of these houses in two seconds. They are so nice. Um, full kitchens, um, you know, privacy with the bedrooms, nice furniture. Even, you know, I, I, a lot of the homes even had grills on the patio, right. which, you know, even just you imagine in your home grilling on the weekend, that is a normal thing in most families. And for these kids, that's even new. The idea of people coming together and grilling and sharing food and, and sitting together. And it's just... Absolutely beautiful. Um, and some of the donations, though, you know, to, for their decorations, too. I know that's one thing we talked about is, um, you know, if you if you don't feel like you have the, the money to donate, you know, bring beautiful pictures they can decorate with. Bring lamps. Bring, mm -hmm. you know, workout equipment. <laughs> um, they need everything. Bring it all. That's right. We do really try to create that family environment that youth can not only live in, but practice living in so that their next best step is more successful. So, right. Yeah, we, we welcome it, um, donations like that for sure. And again, come visit us. Uh, that's so important. And talk about us, talk about what you've seen. And we appreciate that as well. 
making a donation, visiting the campus for a tour, and definitely signing up for the youth mental first aid workshop. Did I say that right? Yes, youth mental health first aid. Okay, I'm going to do it. I'm definitely going to do it. Nice. And I'll, I'll get some people to come in on that. I think even if you live on a street with teens, right. it would behoove you to take this course. Sure. Uh, you hear interviews with neighbors. Mm-hmm. I noticed something, you know, you don't have to have the kids. You don't have to work with the right. kids. You just have to live around them and, and it would benefit you. So Lionel, I saw some really great success stories that you all have listed on your website about some kids that have gone through the Virginia Home for Boys and Girls program. Can you give us a little tidbit of some of those stories? Sure. Um, our, our website, as you mentioned, contains a lot of these stories. And, you know, it's only a fraction of just the immense impact that we are having on young people's lives. But, um, you know, one of the stories on our website is about a kid, uh, a young man named Eric, who came to us uh, from from a house fire. Um, and, you know, his mom was moving from place to place. They were homeless. Um, and unfortunately, his mom had turned to drugs as kind of a way to uh, to cope with that, and Eric, uh, the young man, was neglected. Um, he suffered from emotional and behavioral health concerns. Um, Child Protective Services came in it. Um, Eric was placed with us, and then you know he, he was finally able to start healing. And because of of contributions that are made, Eric is on the on on a road to uh, you know to what's a better life. And we have situations where. You know, kids are asked what their legacy, what they want their legacy to be. And we had a young man tell us that he wants it known how rough the childhood was that that he grew up in and some of the some of the things that he had to push through, but how he was resilient and how he pushed through that. Um, there's Shanna, who you know came from a little small town in Virginia and, you know, her family and neighbors and everybody was in the everybody was known and, and drugs were huge there and she was abused um, and sent to live with us. And one of the things I would throw out is I think there's the assumption that because we are the Virginia home for boys and girls, that all of our kids are from Richmond. And it's so far from the truth because we have kids from all around Virginia. We have kids from from other states as well. You know, we, we like to meet the need wherever it is. So if there's a young man or a young lady, um, who's from another small town who doesn't have the resources that we have, we were able to, uh, to make those happen and get those, those youth on the road to healing as well. Well, the reality is I, you know, I don't know that there's anything anywhere like what you guys do. That's a, that's a great point as well. You know, if you think about it, it you take a little small town, like, you know, Petersburg or Spotsylvania or, you know, some of these other, you know, crew or, or, or Rappahannock, any of these little areas and think about the, the needs of the youth there. You know, is there a school that has therapy that also has behavior coaches that also has a place for the young man or young woman to live in a group home environment? And most of these small towns out here don't have that. So, which is, you know, one of the lanes and needs that we are able to fulfill is that on our campus, we have counseling, a home, a school, and caring adults, which are, you know, some, some key ingredients to the recipe of building healthy children. As opposed to maybe juvie in a small town. Absolutely. It's pretty much the only option in some of these places. 
You're right. And that that's kind of the, the, the default is to send the youth to a place for bad kids when really I, I always like to remind people that we don't have any bad kids. We have really good kids that really bad things have happened to. And those experiences, that crisis and that trauma, is, it, it shows on our campus. Um, and we are here to help them help them deal with them. You know, we talk about success stories. We had a young man probably about five years ago when I started at VHBG who had already been with us for a couple years and was aging out of our younger programs. Our, our younger programs serve youth ages 11 to 17 in our group homes. And so six years ago, a 17-year-old who was about to turn 18 would have been aging out of our programs. But we actually uh, started a few years back a program called ILA, which is Independent Living Arrangement. And so right at the perfect time that the young man was aging out, he went right from our group homes right into our independent living arrangement. It was a seamless transition because he didn't have to move off campus. He literally moved um, across the street in one of our homes. And, you know, the young man was great with his hands and had a really tough situation with his with his family in terms of them taking kind of ownership and responsibility and, and loving and caring for him. Um, they felt like they were not equipped for that, which is what led him to VHBG. But uh, the young man ended up moving into our independent living arrangement and thrived and found a great job and has since relocated to Florida with a great job. So we, you know, we have countless success stories of youth who have come to us and, you know, in one condition and we have worked our magic and partnered with supporters in the community through philanthropic gifts to be able to provide the programs and services that literally are changing the lives of these young uh, men and women that we're, we're responsible for. Um, you know, I, I think another thing that is kind of flies under the radar is when we get a young man or a young woman, I think the assumption is that the person just came from, from court and they're now in our systems. But, you know, the sad truth and the, the, the sad reality is that we often get youth who have been in 17, 18, 19, 20 different placements mm. between group homes and foster homes and detention centers and locked facilities. And, you know, so we, we, we a lot of times are, we know that we're just one of many stops, but we always try to do what we can uh, to make it either the last stop or the best stop uh, to really to, to get youth on the road to healing. So we're, you know, we're, we're, we're bought into holding up our bargain of the deal with society um, and trying to heal kids that, that adults and society uh, have caused great crisis and trauma. Well, thank you for everything that you do. And thank you for sharing some of those stories. I think a lot of times people just don't realize, I mean, these, you know, let's just talk about the example that you gave of the young man that ended up in Florida, you know, this is somebody that, you know, could have ended up really being a detriment to society, not to mention everything that he would be personally and emotionally, emotionally going through. But, you know, now this is somebody that can contribute and, and, and help other people and, you know, be doing good things. And so really, it's you're helping the kids, but you're really also helping the communities in which these kids become adults and, and participate in. You're, you're absolutely right. 
when you think about it, if a kid's life has started with that much crisis and trauma, most kids don't just snap out of that. Usually that road, that road ends in homelessness, incarceration, pregnant, uh, more severe mental uh, deficiencies and, and disabilities there. So it, it, is, it is our job to really wrap our arms uh, around these youth and really just try to, try to repair some of the damage has, that has been done, but really just give them just a positive outlook um, and, and just know that there are adults that believe in them, that support them, that trust them, uh, and that are ready ready to, to help them pick up the pieces and get on the road to healing. Phenomenal organization and, and life-changing for these kids um, to have this space, to have the therapy, to have the education, to have the all-around support. If you're interested in supporting the mission of the Virginia Home for Boys and Girls, visit their website at vhb, as in boy, g.org. That's vhbg.org. And thanks for being here, guys. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to River City Podcast. If you're interested in setting up a podcast for your business, go to rivercityconsulting.com 